Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. <laughs> Coming to you for Lucky Episode 92. Woohoo! So lucky. You know how we did Episode 50 and we called it the one about Episode 50? <laughs> and it was like nothing but joking the whole time. Like, I don't even know if we touched on a church planning subject. I'm just thinking that Episode 100 is coming up. So, oh yeah, we, you know what we got to do is we got to hire somebody, like for free, obviously. But, <laughs> obviously, you know, and and get them to go back and pick out the the greatest hits and and make a compilation for episode one hundred. It'll have you know our, our greatest hits. Uh, me dragonist, me rapido. This is if we had like an actual studio album, right? Like the songs, <laughs> are, the Running Man. I mean, you know, we could just go. What? You'd have all kinds of cool stuff on there. I think what we ought to do is go back through our first 100 episodes, take out the cream of the crop from each one, and put together a, a yearbook, a transcript of the cream of the crop from each episode. Now, do you mean like stuff we think is funny, or do you mean think, things that are actually helpful to the church? I don't think we could do a book that didn't also have a personality. <laughs> <laughs> or people would buy the book and they'd be like listening to the podcast thinking, what is this? I mean, because the podcast would be nothing serious. So, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, speaking of that, right? Like, I got a bone to pick with Hector <laughs> Mora. I thought it was beautiful what Hector Mora tweeted. Oh, go on. Go on. I, all I remember is he said, because I, I have a service thingy that emails me whenever someone tweets and uses one of my Twitter handles. And so I get this email and it was Hector Mora. And he said something to you and he, he copied church planner mag, you know, in it. And I get the church planner mag ones. And it was like, Hey Peyton, did you listen to this episode or episode 91? 
Um, and then what did he say after that? It was something like no hashtag, no rabbit holes, hashtag, no 30 minute intros or something like that. It was beautiful. I loved it. And all I have to say to that is Joey Roper. We now know that your <laughs> secret identity of Yanish is also a front for being Hector Mora. We know that Hector Mora does not actually exist. I used to think he existed. So Hector Mora or uh, Joey Roper is actually Yanish. There oh, is really? no. no I, know, I know there's no. I, I know Yanosh is also Hector, or I mean uh, Joey Roper, but I didn't realize he was also a really big guy who could like kill you with his bare hand. Hector Mora oh, just oh, looks Hector like he could Mora. crush you with his hand. Dude, he wouldn't even need it. I remember seeing this kung fu film once where the dude had a kung fu finger, and all <laughs> he did was move his finger. You know, how, like you can move your finger to the side and then up in the air, and it looks like your your finger's doing like calisthenics. <laughs> Dude, I remember watching a kung fu movie. What's so funny is I know what you're talking about. I think I I've know, seen that dude. movie. Yeah, dude, was it? The, did you see the scene where like they all jumped out of haystacks? All these like ninjas were hiding in haystacks, and they jump out, and all of a sudden they're like this boom, this big gone. Like they're all fighting, and all of a sudden this guy appears, and he just holds up his finger, and his finger starts going, and he kicks butt on everybody with his finger. I do. I remember that. Dude, you're the only – it's like we found each other. You're the only person I know of who watched Kung Fu Theater growing up Sunday afternoons and actually knows a film I'm talking about. You know what's funny is uh, Jimbo Balaam actually showed up at church today. We're always happy when he shows up. And uh, we were talking afterwards, and he's hey, like – One out of four ain't bad. I'm just saying. <laughs> one out of four? Wow. You think that's how often he comes? That's good. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but he goes um, – you and Peyton ought to do a Star Wars podcast. I don't know, man. I'm thinking, you know, you got the new movie coming out next year. Maybe not a bad idea. That's not a bad idea at all. I, it's really good. not. I mean, he might be onto something there. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> well, my That's job, right. My job is like a skinny worm compared to your job. Come on. Hey, I wanted to ask you on the podcast. I know you took your daughter to go see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I want to know how it was. My daughter is five years old, and she was so loud in there. Like she's been, <laughs> she went to Frozen, and she was like transfixed. Didn't hear a peep out of her the whole time in the theater. She's like, Dad. What? This popcorn, it's good. <laughs> Where's my drink, Dad? And and she's trying to like whisper, but she's super loud. But yeah, we watched it. Um, my wife wasn't entirely sure Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you know, is entirely appropriate for a five year old, but it's for the children. I keep telling for the kids. Come on. And uh, yeah, um, I thought it was okay. I did not think it was. Uh, by the way, church planner, you know, this is this is our section where we try to make you culturally relevant. So, like, <laughs> we're doing we suffer through movies for you. It's, it's research and Yanish or or shall I say Joey Roper, a.k.a. Hector Mora. We're on to you, pal. We, we know now we don't believe the ruse of Hector Mora anymore. We know that Hector Mora is another mouthpiece for Yanish, just like Joey Roper. They don't exist. But anyways, uh, Joey Roper, Hector Mora, Yanish, they would not know that you actually have to go see movies to be connected. So you want to know the connection? Everything that Pete and I are saying is is connected to church planning somehow. There. 
I didn't. I don't know how Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is connected to church planning. I'll take your word for it. I just don't know how. Me neither. Awkward silence. <laughs> I went and saw. I can't even remember what the name of it is. I mean, I literally left the theater, came home so we could record the podcast. Did Did you not see the turtle one? I didn't. No, I told you I couldn't go see it because it just no. doesn't look like it's going to be good. And that's why I wanted to ask you if it was actually good, so I can decide if I'm going to go oh, see it. I thought I thought you were going to say it was really bad, so I was kind of noncommittal about the whole thing. Oh, no, know, that wasn't it at all. No, I didn't see it. I saw the Philip Seymour Hoffman movie. Obviously, it was okay. The coolest part about the movie is that if you spent fifteen dollars on the 3D show, you got like the purple 3D glasses, you know, yeah. for uh, like your Donatello or Raphael. And we didn't go to the 3D show, but I went to the front and asked if, on behalf of my daughter, uh, we could have one. So we we came out with a free piece of swag, and I thought that was cool. I well, you know, as much as you spend to go to a movie, you should get some swag. No, I saw. I think it was called a Most Wanted Man. It was the Philip Seymour Hoffman movie. The I guess the film he did right before he died. It was pretty good. Yeah, I enjoyed they, it. They were filming that. Yeah, they, it takes place in Germany. I didn't know that. I really didn't know much about it. I just thought it would be pretty good. And I, everyone's like, oh, Philip Seymour Hoffman deserves the Oscar for this. I'm like, he was good. I don't know about Oscar talk. I mean, he plays a fat guy who smokes too much and drinks too much. I mean, he's just, I don't think <laughs> it was much of a stretch for him. It was like, you know, he kind of just... Called I in never, his, his skills. His, I never agree with that. When people say, oh, so-and-so should get that. Like Daniel Day-Lewis. I have not yet seen a Daniel Day-Lewis film where I'm like, oh, that dude totally deserved the Oscar. I will I say totally that I thought that with Heath Ledger. Oh, on Joker? Yeah. Absolutely. When he did that and everyone was like, oh, he needs to get that. I'm like, dude, it's because he died. Everyone, And then I went and saw it and I was like, no, actually, that was really good. Absolutely. There is a big difference between a knight's tale and a dark knight. You know? The other guy who should get an Oscar, but he won't, is stinking uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. for Iron Man. I don't know about for Iron Man, but I will say he's one of my favorite actors. Like I like watching him. Hold it on uh, Chaplin. I don't, Way back I, in the you 90s, know, I don't, drugs derailed his career. Oh yeah. man, he pulled it on that. That was serious. Action. I don't think. See, I don't think drugs, uh, drugs derailed his career because he came back. Everyone's like, "Oh, he's yeah. out." I, I really think Hollywood like sells people out too quickly, and then they're happy to let him back in. I mean, actually, it's kind of ironic to me. Hollywood is more forgiving than the church, but that's a, absolutely that's a whole other topic for a, another podcast. Absolutely, I, I suppose we probably should get back to uh, church planning, right? Oh, oh, we were talking about church planning the whole time. Right. Well, what I was going to say is that Hollywood actually needs a church plant, and um, so that was our, our Hollywood moment for church planting. Believe it or not, and I kid you not, I, I have a couple in application right now through New Breed. He is a recording producer uh, in his studio, and she is an actress, and they're applying for um, for New Breed, and they're planning a church in, I, I guess it's Beverly Hills. Well, say goodbye to the recording career if you do that. Yeah, I'm just saying it'll be nice to have some rich people in. You know what I'm saying? I don't think they'll be rich for long, though. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> I think Hollywood will retaliate to that, Viva, which I wholly support. <laughs> well, yeah, especially in their case. Especially, no, but, 
But here's the deal. Like, um, we, you know, I, I have a church planning story, and you know what it is, Pete. Um, today, it was the weirdest thing, man, because we, we meet outside, and so every once in a while, like, our neighbors get really upset. Like, you know, it was actually just one dude. Like, everybody else is cool. You live next to a school. You expect to hear alarms going off, buzzers during the day, fire alarms, um, earthquake drills, uh, recess bells, and a bunch of kids, right? Mm-hmm. So and whistles blowing. So, um, anyways, this guy wrote me a letter, and he's like, "Look, man, I live next to a school, and there's these apartments right next to us, right? There's a lot of apartments. Like yeah, this community. When we did the EDDM program by the post office, which if you're in the United States and you're thinking about doing direct mail, you need to look into the EDDM program because it's the cheapest way that you can carpet bomb a neighborhood. But there are so many apartment buildings around the church. We like didn't even have to go a quarter of a mile from the school to reach something like ten thousand people. It was it's ridiculous how many apartment yeah. buildings there are. Well, so <clears throat> this guy, you know, he he lives there, and he's like, you know, he writes me this letter and he's like, "Look, man, you know, I uh, I live there, and you know, you guys are really loud. I expect it during the week, but during the the, the weekend, I need to sleep. I have I have cancer." Um, first time he wrote me a really angry letter, didn't tell me about the cancer. I wrote him a very gracious response and, you know, it was kind of like, hey, you know, um, I really started. Let me know what we can do, you know, to, to make it up. He was just really well, because cool. one of the things that you said to me is you go, when Christians pull this stuff, I get pissed. Yeah. But when a non-saved person pulls this, we're just going to love on them. We're going to yeah. do whatever we can to reach out to them and make them make them happy yeah i get, I get really mad when christians punk me like that like then it's a different it's kind of like it's friendly fire and it's just kind of like it's like braveheart right like he he's used to like you know english people shooting arrows and throwing swords at him but you know when it's like robert the bruce you know it's kind of a bit disorienting so yeah that that always gets my back up you know i come out flying then with the fist of fury right but uh with, with this guy it was like yeah we need to love on this dude and so he sends a second uh, and I tell the sound guy, hey, keep it down a bit. He sends a second one. And this one I shared with you, but I also shared it with the the sound guy. And this one was really vitriolistic. I mean, it was it was kind of like, and you guys call yourselves religious people, you know, and you have no consideration. And, boom. and, and I, I know why you sent it to me. Are you going to share with everyone why you sent it to me? I don't even remember. The very last line of that email. Oh, that was funny, yeah. And it's not even good music. (laughs) (laughs) That was the best. He goes, you know, he writes this big, and it's a long letter. And then he goes, by the way, your music isn't good. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why you sent it to me. And I'm like, hey, I can't argue with the dude. You know, there you go. So funny. And your music is not good. That was like the best, like, ending to a letter ever. (laughs) And uh, so anyway, so, you know, we... You know, and and I'm going to respond graciously again. This time, I I tell my leadership, I say, look, we're going to go serve this dude. Like, we're going to tell him, hey, man, do you need a ride to the hospital? We need to make this up to you. Like, we're going to play the card like, hey, you know, we owe you, man. Like, you're, you're in the worst part of your life, and we're making it worse for you. And we feel so bad. Can we bring you food? Can we, you know, do you need help financially? Like, we were going to go serve the dude, right? And befriend him. Did you and guys reach like, out to him? Did you actually do that? 
Well, check this out. This is in God's sovereignty. This is what happened. Because here's here's the question that I think every church planner needs to ask themselves. If you were in that situation and one of the neighbors sent you that email, like part of his email was, when are you guys going to find a permanent place to meet? Because we're meeting out on the benches of the school, which is we actually pay to use the auditorium, but we choose to use the benches instead. I mean, I don't know how most people would react because part of me is like, you know, you, you get your dander up, right? And you you want to like defend yourself. You want to be because he's like, you know, I didn't move next to a church. I moved next to a school, which technically isn't true because like we yeah. said before on the podcast, from where his apartment is literally across the street is a church. Like yeah. the shadow of that church hits our church. That's how close yeah, we are. Absolutely. So, I mean, yeah, you know, absolutely. part of you is like the dander, dander gets up. You're ready to like go fight. You fortunately have been through this before. I mean, that's really the benefit in my mind to working with a uh, coach. Um, jump school? No, I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> but, Cha-ching! Yeah, there you go. But <laughs> I mean, like, training.com. <laughs> yeah, because you, you've been there before. So you've got, like, no, here's how we need to handle this. And yeah. I, I mean, that that's a piece of wisdom that is invaluable. Because I, I would, I go into fight mode, right? I go, in, but I know it's the wrong attitude to take with someone who's not saved. You're not going to well, convert and fight. Absolutely. And the first thing, guys, if you're ever in that situation, one of the things you need to do, I'll, I'll just give a couple pointers about using public space. Number one, you get it, you get ahead of it, right? You get out in front of it. You don't let this thing catch up with you. We went to the principal. I immediately went to the principal and spoke to her and said, Hey, I just want to let you know I got this letter. And she said, yeah, you know, we know him. Don't worry. He complains against us all the time because my concern is I'm going to get kicked out of this building if um, he raises enough, you know, th- then the principal will start thinking, well, hold on a second, you know, right? Um, how many of our residents are going to be upset with us? So I got out in front of it and we were cool. They're like, they laughed. They're like, hey, we get it. You know, he complains. Don't worry. You're good. We appreciate you guys. The second thing, it's a little bit off topic, but one, one thing you ought also to do is almost anytime you rent a public space, you have a caretaker. So if you're in a community center, there's always someone who locks up, right? There's always someone who mops the floor when you're gone or in a school, maybe the janitor comes and locks the gate after everyone leaves. One of the things that you have to do is tip that person. Um, I did, I had to train my guys and they used to think we're nuts. We're a small church plant. We tip the dude 20 bucks every week. And we got two guys. They alternate every other week. Do you really? I didn't know that. We tip them 20 bucks a week. And I started this over in the UK. See, this is brilliant. Why don't you share this stuff on a podcast for church planners? You know, I should. We should do a podcast where we really should. Helpful this things. is like golden. I'm like, wow, this is a great idea. Why haven't I ever heard this before? There's so many brilliant things I do. I, you know, I lose track of them. <laughs> I'm so smart. <laughs> you guys are so lucky to be listening to this podcast. No, I'm teasing. Can but, you tell Peyton's been away on vacation and we haven't been able to talk for a while? <laughs> but, but the thing is, you have to think that this is your, this is like, he's like your mediator. If he's not happy with you, no one else is happy with you. If he's happy with you, everyone else is happy with you. He's the one who knows what goes on in the weekend. So you tip him 20 bucks. He gets 40 extra bucks a week. And let me tell you something. He does not want your group to stop meeting. 
Mm. He knows I'm out forty bucks, man. That's my beer money. <laughs> that's, that's forty bucks money. of non-taxable money that I am just straight pocketing. <laughs> I love mm-hmm. it. I love it. You know, and he's a janitor, so he's not making a lot of money, right? So you are you are this guy's best friend, and we always you treat him with respect. If you have food, you always take him a plate of food. Talking to a guy who used to be a janitor once upon a time when I was in high school. I was a janitor of an elementary school. Uh, the after school guy that like empties the waste baskets and vacuums, but you know, so you take care of that guy. So that's totally off topic, but just while we're on the topic of, of looking after your building. So in the sovereignty of God, this is the coolest thing is I send this email from this guy, Tony, I send it over to the sound guy and he's like, he's Mr. Action, right? Like you don't, you don't tell him anything unless you want him to do something. And so, uh, but but I thought, all I was trying to tell him is, hey, man, just keep an eye on the volume when we're outside. He takes it upon himself. And I, I chewed him out for him. Like, hey, dude, you know, like, not cool, you know. But uh, he takes it on himself to answer the email. He's not even on my leadership team. And so that was, like, a big no-no. And I had to circle Say back. that again. What did he do? He actually emailed the dude and responded oh, to Oh, no. And, and, and so always like, even you would know this, right? Like we always had this rule that one, here's another thing about dealing with a, a property or a building. You always designate one person to deal, to deal with the authorities, whether it's principals, the county office, if it's department of parks and recreation, you, you one person. So you don't have like five different people contacting the authority, right? So the principal, it was always Charlie. When Charlie went off to plant in Whittier, it became me, right? But it's always better. I, I quickly appointed someone else who's respectable. And so it's always good to have one person. And so uh, your communication, it needs to bottleneck, right, through one person who you can trust. You're not ever worried about what they're going to say. And so in this case, I was jealous to respond to this guy because we had to respond just so. Well, it turns out. His response was really good. In fact, what he started sharing was, hey, man, you know, uh, I just I'm in remission for cancer. I just got through my cancer. I just got the all clear back in this month. And he just writes him the most compassionate, stinking email. And one of the things Tony had said in his email, uh, the guy who had cancer who was really angry at us, he said, do not contact me again because I'd responded to the first one. So I was going to contact him. Though, but <laughs> yeah, you were going to do it anyway. I was because I'm like, hey, you know, we we gain nothing or we lose nothing by contacting him again. And so uh, anyways, so he contacts him anyways. So here's the story today. Right. This morning I get up and I've got this strong impression that we have to meet outside today. And we had been meeting inside and I've kind of been. Really? Is that why we met outside? Because I'm not kidding you. It was so freaking hot. That Jamie and I walk up and we're like, seriously, this is the day we meet outside? <laughs> so I called everybody. I just knew. Like, it was totally the Holy Spirit. I just knew, like, we have to meet outside today. I had no idea why. I just knew it. Like, you know, you get a bee in your bonnet. And so I call up Chris. I call up Eric. They're like, done. No problem. So we're meeting outside. So this guy, Tony, right, he's taking his trash out. And as he's taking out his trash... He hears the message and he stops and on the other side of the wall, he just sits there and listens to the whole of this message on a piece of Romans 8 being preached. Was it on the other? I thought he actually came. 
he did towards the end. Yeah. Oh, after, it was at the after end. After the okay. message, during the worship, he walked around and he introduced himself to Chris. Said, I had been living in San Diego. And he, he actually emailed me today and said, hey, um, I'll, I'll just I'll just read it. Yeah, I was, you should read the email. Yeah, because he, he actually says, please share this. I, w- I, I should read you the old one, but I don't want to. But he <laughs> says, he, he writes this. He says, God has guided me to do the right thing and send my most sincere and deepest apologies for any negative emails, comments, remarks, and selfishness I have shown to you and yours in the past. If you knew the original email, you'd be blown away by this. This is clearly like, this is Damascus Road, man. So he says, I also would like to affirm that I now know you are truly doing God's work. And through the sermon I listened to today and knowledge of Christ in my heart, I'd like to share this story with anyone who would care to hear it. I'm in the middle of radiation therapy and am responding well, not that this illness was ever seen as life-threatening, only a little uncommon for a 52-year-old. This type of involvement usually happens in older males and advances more slowly. I'll skip the next part. He talks about his chemo rotation and schedule. And he says, uh, I was just told on Friday that I may need only about 20 or so more. Originally, it was 48 daily treatments. I was taken out the trash this morning about 11 a.m. and for some reason was guided to hear the pastor's sermon. And I didn't just listen. I truly heard it. It was a message I needed to hear. I was baptized several years ago while living in San Diego, and I do call myself a Christian. However, with being caught up in all the nonsense of finances, real estate issues, personal family issues, health, and general fear, etc., I now realize I was battling more than health and money. I have been in a fight for my very soul and spirit, and I thank God for never giving up on me, and I realize that I can't do things on my own. I believe in miracles, always have, just didn't believe I was worth it. Uh, That got me, man. Mm -hmm. When I called Eric, I'm like, Hey, man, I got to tell you, boom, boom, boom. Eric was a, the sound guy who had sent the email. And he goes, dude, I'm crying. I'm, I'm crying right now. I got the text. Because, you know, earlier Chris Langham had texted all of us. Hey, I just got out of a conversation with this dude. Boom, boom, boom. And uh, he says, I guess it's true after all that when we're at our weakest, when we ask, when we're given the strength we need. And, and I have been pushing this uh, all the way for a very long time. And he says, I just hope and pray I can remain filled with the Spirit. I would like to help others who need to see and hear what a real, real miracle is like. But for that to happen, I need to be whole physically and spiritually. Thanks for all the prayers. I know they have. And, and you know, we said, didn't we, Pete? We're like, I'm like, dude, I'm praying for this, dude. Like, that was my commitment. Like, we're going to pray for this. We even said. Well, I remember the- your exact words or we're just going to love on this guy. Because, you know, as a dude. I don't like throwing around the word love. <laughs> so it's just one of those things. Homophobe. <laughs> Dude, I'm a homophobic. No, but it's like when I hear something like that, I'm like, you know, uh, I get where you're coming from. It makes me uncomfortable. I get where you're coming from. Mom, Pete, let's go love on that. Man. <laughs> but, you know, but th- those were your exact words. I totally remember you saying that. Yeah. But I mean that that's the power of the gospel and I I had a sense when when we were talking cuz I was excited after I got this email cuz I'm like this has got at work like I had a sense then I just didn't know what God was going to do and guys for for the church planners listening guys one of my favorite scriptures and and I'm this is when I say to people hey you know you get out of God's way and he's doing the ministry like I wasn't even there you know what I mean? Like, I had nothing to do with this. Jimbo shows up more often than you do. 
<laughs> he does now. That's true. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and so the thing is, is like, you're a spectator. But even if I had been there, even Chris, Chris was a spectator. He preached, but he really had nothing to do with this. And none of us do. Like, this is God dealing with this dude. You know, here, and, here's a here's a story for you that I don't think I shared this with you. And I want to be really careful about how I how I tell this story because I don't want to offend anybody. I mean, we got a lot of listeners, but we've already talked about it on the show. I, I, I don't care for praise music. It's not my deal. And every once in a while we have, you know, guest bands come in, guest singers, stuff like that. And there's just one that's been a guest that I really didn't think their music was good. And, um, you agreed with Tony. I agreed with Tony on that one. That's for sure. But like even Jamie, I agree with Tony. But even Jamie, who loves praise music, didn't like this music. And I still remember seeing them, this this group that was coming in, and I was like, oh, man, they're here. <laughs> like, like, my heart just sinks, right? But one of the things, and, and this is the reason why I want to share this story. One of the things that we've talked about on the podcast that you've trained the people who do our music is you want them to open it up. It's not just about doing a set, right? Cranking through it. It's let's take a break. Let's let the Holy Spirit speak. Um, you know, let people share, let people pray out loud, let people uh, read a Bible verse, which can feel really strange when you're not doing it, right? Because it's just, yeah. you know, we're used to church being done a certain way. And I remember there was a, a guy leading worship this day. And, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, and, and we've already said this before, right? I realize church isn't for me. Like, it's not there to cater to me is what I mean by that. Yeah. And um, the guy breaks, and he just opens it up, right? Because he's been told, hey, this is what we do at this church. So break, open it up, you know, ask people who want to share. And, like, as soon as he did that, immediately dude stands up. And just says, you know what? This church has changed my life. It's brought me back to God. And then it was just like popcorn, right? Going off. And people were standing up. And I'm sitting there watching this going, it doesn't matter about the music. I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't, right? But that's not the reason why these people are here. Like, they're here to hear from God. And it's such a weird, like, phenomenon when you're not used to that, right? When you're used to going to a church where it's, a big production and you know, the bands up there and, and there's, it's perfect and you're done and everyone leaves. Everyone goes to this church because of something much deeper than going to attend a show. If that makes sense, what I'm saying. No, totally dude. Like th this is the thing is when I texted, uh, I texted Eric before, right before I called him and I said something about, Oh no, it was afterwards, and I said something about you know his letter. Guess who? Eric's, really Eric's the the sound guy, so everyone understands that. And that replied could, back that you would you would rather not people reply back. You want one point contact. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and so you know, and then I put hashtag, you know, why we do this. You know, this is always it, guys. You know, like like I said, you know, and you you'll feel this if you're doing it to get a crowd. That's going to wear out as soon as you get a crowd. You're going to be like, this sucks. I don't want to do this. Because with that, you know, like like Uncle Ben said to Pete, um, with great power comes great responsibility. With great crowds comes great responsibility. There's 
there's a lot of stuff to do, and it's not the fun stuff. It's not the cool stuff. It's admin. It's paperwork. It's you know tracking systems for donors, and that's not why you got into ministry. I mean, the reality is this is why you got into ministry. Hmm. And so, you know, what I always say to church planners is if your motive for planning that church is not to reach lost people, you are so far off. You're not ready to plant. You're so far off track of where you need to be. You're just not ready to plant. You shouldn't even bother planting because what the, what the community you're going to doesn't need to see is another church that's out for itself. I remember writing in uh, Church Zero, I'm pretty sure. Cha-ching. Cha-ching. I put something, you know, this generation is asking the question, are you for, are you for, are you for me? Are you out for me? Or are you out for God? Or are you out for yourself? And that's a great question. The, The answer ought to be, I'm out for God. I'm out to love God with all my heart in this community and to love other people. Mm. Boom. That's it. You know? Yep. That's so our ticket. topic today. <laughs> yeah. 30 minutes in, Hector Mora. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, hey, you know, every once in a while, you know, we have to tell cool stories because, you know, Hector Mora doesn't have any, right? Oh, oh, oh that actually took me a minute. Hey, I'm like, no, I'm teasing. what did I'm, he just say? <laughs> I'm just teasing. Besides, it's really Yanish that actually felt that pain. Not Hector. Hector's a figment. He doesn't exist. Mm. But, uh, you know, the reality is, God, uh, guys, that uh, God has awesome stuff that he wants to do in each of your communities. You know, you and weren't at church last Sunday again, and uh, that's when we had Jonathan Ferguson from I was Kenya. Tired. He, no, yeah. Jonathan Ferguson was out from Kenya, and so he spoke at uh, Refuge Long Beach. And I will say, I, I don't know if you saw it, but maybe 30 minutes in, he said, I do agree with Pete. No, he did not. He said, as soon as I met him, right, because we've never actually met, but as soon as I saw him there, I go, you know what I want to hear you say, don't I? <laughs> and he goes, I know what, I, what you want to hear me say. <laughs> you know, the day before I had had lunch with him, he was a missionary over in, uh, in Kenya, and he had said, I now regret saying I agree with Pete. <laughs> He but he, repenting. I think he felt that's what he was supposed to say to me, you know? But Hey, uh, he said it from the pulpit. We have a nice, clean recording of it now. Yes, but he was probably speaking out of Romans 7, right? Because oh. we're in Romans 8 now. That was probably Romans 7, the things I don't want to do, these I do. No, actually, uh, he wasn't in Romans at all. Was he in the no condemnation, Romans he, 8, 1? He was in James. He was in James. That's all oh, I'm saying. Well, of course. A right straw epistle, according to Martin Luther, I'd fit the context. So here's a deal, right? Our, our topic today, and this feels weird, right? This feels like when you're goofing off with Philip Yancey. Not Phil, but Philip Yancey. <laughs> I can never get his name right in my head anymore. I'm so used to the, to the battle between Phil and Philip. Yes. And, you know, now we're going to go from, like, all that to talking about depression. Mm, great subject crowd pleaser you know here's the deal right like we said this okay so backing up now let's let's talk about ministering to people with mental illnesses this is actually part two right which is kind of weird because now like you said we're 30 minutes in but a lot of people don't know how to minister to people with mental illness and so we've got to talk about so last time last podcast number 91 
I was class in 91, by the way. We talked about anxiety disorders. It wasn't 91. Oh, okay. No. What's this one? We're on 92, but 91 was Get Up and Go, your talk for that. Oh, cool. And then Tyrone and I did number 90. So I th- And then 89 was um, the uh, uh, Dave Ferguson. So I think it was like 87, because I think we Holy had a Wednesday cow. one in there. I, I, you were well gone, dude. Mistake. You were gone. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. Um, so it, this is part two, how to minister with uh, to people with mental illnesses. And so we talked about the anxiety disorders. You can go back to 80 and listen to that one. Or, you know, you can uh, just, you know, pick up here with depression. Depression is the most common uh, mental illness. More people deal with depression than anxiety disorders. And um, 50% of the population has been at some point diagnosed with depression. And that's a mind blower. Like that's an absolute mind blower because that is just 50% of America has been diagnosed. So, of course, with the uh, smoking a pot, you know, the more that gets legal or the more people do it, illegal or not, um, you're going to see those figures go up because drug use leads to uh, in most cases, severe forms of depression. And so anyways, you know, same with alcoholism, you know, all these things eventually lead to depression. And so it is the number one highest mental illness that people deal with. Um, obviously, it's taken a little bit more of the spotlight with Rick Warren's son, um, you know, who took his own life. And, and recently that's been in the media a lot about pastors, kids taking their their own lives. Pastors have been taking their own lives. That's been a quite a scandalous uh, news item. Has it really? And, uh, yeah, yeah. There's been uh, I think three pastors in the last year that have hit the the you know national news for taking their own lives. And um, and really, it's, and it's quite yeah. It's it's not that unheard of. I I can't remember what the statistic was, but uh, it it was they said that it was um, it was slightly higher in guys in ministry to take their own life. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. I did not know that, actually. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, depression, um, first off, you know, you, you got to deal with the whole thing about is it biblical or not? You know, I, I was saved in the late 80s and went through the 90s, got the T-shirt, um, you know, came through the millennium, and things have been changing. It used to be that you couldn't talk about it, and everyone thought you were super unspiritual. And I worked in a psychiatric hospital. Like, there are scientific facts. There there are, you know, chemicals in the brain. There's dopamine. There's, you know, neurotransmitters. We can actually measure the chemical activity in people's brains. And so um, the research is there, guys. Um, It's like when someone has a hormonal imbalance or a chemical imbalance in their blood, um, maybe an electrolyte ba- imbalance. It's like the brain's the same thing, but the brain responds to neurochemicals and neurotransmitters. And like I said, there's there's dopamine, there's all kinds of things um, that, that will affect the, the I don't want to get into all the science of it, especially when I don't have my, my whiteboard, but um, it, it's basically like this. Picture you got two nerves, right, in your brain, two brain cells. And the gap in between those Which, two by the way, is about cells. all the brain cells I got. Absolutely. So this is you're going to have to exercise these two brain cells to think about it. But here's the deal. Picture that 
in order, you know, you hear about the synapses firing, right? You, you hear about the electrical, uh, you know, uh, current that goes through the brain. The brain is powered on electricity, um, just like most of the body, the heart, everything. And so energy, electric, electrical pulses are going through the brain, right, from cell to cell. And the way that they're transmitted from cell to cell, it's like there's this little gap. And, you know, picture like evil can evil. Right, he's going to jump the Grand Canyon now. He's on his little motorcycle, and that motorcycle uh, is called a neurotransmitter, and it makes the jump from cell to cell. And so that's a chemical. And if you have too many of these neurotransmitters, too many of this certain chemical, then your brain goes too fast, and you get anxiety. If you have depression, it's that, and this is a way oversimplified. But if you have depression, is so you have too little of these. Uh, neurochemicals um, and the electrical currents move slower and so the brain slows down so all these things are factors there's also uh, not to blind you with science like Thomas Dolby but there's also what's called neuroreceptors which uh, receive the neurochemicals those can be faulty those can uh, be mis- so it's not just one thing and so all the different uh, drugs that you have are looking at neurochemicals or neurotransmitters and so it is it's a scientific deal so if you want to sit there and say oh I believe all these problems are spiritual you're just a cretin <laughs> you're just a Neanderthal <laughs> um, you're just a moron and unfortunately you got a Bible and morons with Bibles are very dangerous people Right now, I'm not saying. Can I make a, a meme for that and and put that out on Facebook? No, please do. Yeah, but <laughs> a moron with the a Bible thing. is just what, what was he? I don't remember. <laughs> I say so many brilliant things. <laughs> <laughs> but but here's the thing, you know, you, you, as you're looking at this, you know it. You, you can say, oh, it's spiritual, and like I said, I, it's not to say that these things are never having a root cause in, in spiritual issues. They can't. In fact, um, let, me, let me just tell you about depression. There's biological depression, which is what we just talked about. And then there's what's called situational depression. And a situational depression or a reactive depression is hinged on your lifestyle and stressors in your life and really isn't neurochemical. And so uh, it's not that your neurochemistry is not affected, but it is actually a, um, you know, let's put it this way. Picture like a machine, right? Say the brain's going. And when you get stressed, your brain starts going fast. You can feel it, right? Um, You start getting nervous. You might shake. You get jittery. You can't deal with a lot of stimulus. If the kids are screaming in the background, the music's loud, the wife's, you know, doing something with the you know, uh, calling your name and trying to, are you listening to me? And then you just finally blow a gasket, right? That's because, and I think I mentioned this last time that, you know, Radiohead says in a song, sometimes I get going so fast, that's when you see sparks. And of course, he struggles with, uh, you know, uh, bipolar disorder, um, Tom York from, from Radiohead. And so uh, you will feel this if you're manic depressive or bipolar, you sense there's times you either go really fast or you go really slow. And, um, and I'm oversimplifying this in layman's term, but that's, that's basically what's happening. And so when you deal with huge periods of stress for a prolonged period of time, depression results because the brain as a defense mechanism says, okay, we're burning out like a machine. Like 
pretty soon, like a cheap Chinese Ryobi motor from Home Depot, this power saw is going to eventually like spark and catch fire. It's going to burn out. Smoke's going to start coming out your ears. So let's shut down, and we'll just decrease all stimuli, and we will process everything much slower because we can't keep going at this rate. And so eventually, you know, most psychiatrists will tell you that um, depression is a result of anxiety or stress. Doesn't mean you have an anxiety disorder, though. Just means that you, you know, like you might just have depression because you went through a really stressful period. You know, people after divorces often or the death of a child or these kinds of things, it's too much for the system and the system shuts down. The emotions, uh, which do, you know, are linked to chemicals, it's too much. Does that make sense? It does. So, I, I mean, I think most people would understand situational depression as you described it because we get that, right? You got a death, you go through a major traumatic thing like a divorce. Um, I, we, we get that. We understand it. So what do you do about the clinical depression, the manic depressive? I mean, yeah. how do you handle that situation? And, and manic depressive, by the way, is, um, you know, a lot of people get di- uh, uh, diagnosed as being bipolar. And I'm really skeptical of that because I've seen real bipolar people. And the average person that walks into an office and says, Doc, you know, boom, boom, boom. And they say, well, you're, the, you're bipolar. I'm not qualified to diagnose, but I've been in the psychiatric hospital a lot. And I, you know, there's one thing, there's a difference between a nurse and a, and a doctor. The doctor sees the patient for a few minutes. Sure, they've read the books, they've done all that. The nurse spends all day with these people. And I have seen tons of cases of misdiagnosis. I've, I've met so many people where, you know, and you'll hear it in comments, oh, they're bipolar, of course. Well, it just means that, you know, maybe at some point in their life, they went through a rough time, they did some rash things, and suddenly they got diagnosed with being bipolar. And I will tell you the most common misdiagnosis uh, out there is bipolar. Um, and, and, and so here's the deal. Like depression is depression. How you deal with it, and I would tell you this, is go to a doctor. Um, get on uh, psychiatric meds if they prescribe them to you, but definitely uh, don't just take it hook, line, and sinker. What I mean is if he says you need to take this drug, realize that they're always experimenting, not with the drug itself, but with the combination of the drug and the person. So, for example, um, what may work for you like, uh, I don't know, like, um, what's, what's, you know, like, uh, what, what are some of the, the, the ones that people take? Um, Prozac. Prozac. That was the one I was going, that was what I was going for. I blanked out for a second. So Prozac, right? That was like the wonder drug once upon a time. Um, Prozac will, may work like a charm for one person. It will not work at all, uh, for the next. And what you have to understand about psychiatric meds is that, like I said, there's all these different combinations. It could be that your neurotransmitter is not working right. It could be that you have too little or too much of this. It might be uh, you. there's more than one neurochemical, by the way. And so it's finding the common. They don't always know exactly which neurochemical has gone wrong. And so they might say, well, let's give him a tranquilizer and a dopamine inhibitor. Or let's give, you know, and there's all these different combinations of drugs that they can give. And some work. And so you'll see uh, guys who are kind of like, hey, doc, you know, I got to decrease my dose because I'm sleeping all the time. 
or maybe if you're taking anxiety medication, you're not taking enough, uh, you're still having a lot of anxiety, so they got to up the dosage or they got to combine it with another drug. So um, drugs are tricky, right? And usually the psychiatrist is experimenting on you to see what works. Now, I know for some of you guys, you're like, what does this have to do with church? Well, yeah, the the question that I still have is how do you deal with someone who's got that? Yeah. Well, the first thing is to understand. Just like I said last session, you have to understand this stuff because if they're coming to you as a pastor, the most common question is pastor. Um, I'm on, I've gone to my say, I'm on this drug and should I be taking it? And in the past, many pastors have done a disservice to people and said, no. You shouldn't be taking it. You should go to God in prayer. And you should Now, uh, we're getting to a point where most people are like, oh, that's stupid, right? But the way that you minister to depressed people, you know, just getting to the, the nitty-gritty, is you never discourage them from taking their meds. Um, but you help them to understand any good psychiatrist, and this is straight from the One, you're not qualified to discourage them from taking their meds. I mean, exactly. isn't that like a huge legal Yes. Issue that you Absolutely. could have if they then kill themselves and someone found out you, the pastor, said don't take the drug? Absolutely. It, it can be counted as manslaughter. And so here's the deal is you have to be very careful. What you can do is help them work through and say, well, you know, this symptom, why don't you tell your doctor that you're having boom mode? Sometimes people just need to be guided through and they need to understand that just because a doctor, well, the doctor must know what he's doing. He put me on this. No, realize he's experimenting. So you tell him, well, look, you know, um, maybe this drug isn't working. Tell him that in most psychiatrists, when you tell them the symptoms, they'd be like, oh, okay, well, let's try this and that and that. Um, it, it's just, you know, it, it's helpful. But realize this. Psychiatric or psychotropic drugs over time lose their effectiveness. So they are not designed to work in the long term. And so you might have a guy, he's been mentally ill, you know, for the last 20 years. He will not be on the same drug during those 20 years because he will eventually build up a tolerance to the drugs he's on. The doses will need to be increased. And any good psychiatrist will tell you, this is just to deal with the symptoms. But what we really need to do is find out the cause. So if it's not biological, then what you do is you deal with the situational or the stressors in one's life or maybe the deep pain. A lot of times people are in depression because of deep, deep pain in their life. Maybe someone molested them. Maybe, you know, and, and they cannot handle the reality of it's just too overwhelming that the amount of shame and guilt and pain and betrayal that they're walking around with every day. And so these are ways of alleviating the symptoms. And so one of the things that you do, you point them to people in the scripture that uh, were depressed. In other words, you give them permission to, to be depressed. You know what I'm saying? I, I think I get where you're going with that. You, you, you tell him, look, well, you know, Elijah went through a depression, and I've had guys say, oh, he sure did, did, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's tons. Of, I, I think Peter, to a certain degree, um, started to go through a depression after the denial. I think that's why Jesus had to meet with him afterwards and, and, and reinstate him. I think Peter was just like, okay, I'm done, and I'm sure he, you know, he couldn't forgive himself, and Jesus had to have that special meeting with him, and then he puts him back in ministry as another meeting, which was recorded in John. Um, I think that as you go through the scripture, you will find that uh, 
you know, people were depressed for different reasons. But, you know, Lloyd-Jones, right, he was a, a famous Harley Street physician. He was uh, studied under the guy who was the assistant to the royal physician, a guy named Lord Horder, who was, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, you remember the uh, the King's speech, you know? Oh, yeah, uh, that sure. Dude. So Lloyd-Jones was the assistant to that guy's doctor. And he left that prominent position to go become a gospel preacher. The reason why is he was looking through the files, and these are all like neurotic rich people in upper crust society in you know uh, Southampton and, and London, and he's looking through the cardex, you know, it's like a Rolodex of all these people's problems, and he realized that most of the problems these people had were spiritual at their root. They weren't like literally like physical problems. They were coming in for really neurotic behaviors or, you know, things that, uh, you know, um, eats too much or, you know, drinks too much. And he's like, you know, if, if I could get at the soul of these people, um, it would really, it would really, I could help change them because all we're doing right now is just dealing with symptoms. I need to get at the root cause. And I think there is something to be said for that. If it's not a, a biological depression, then you need to um, you, you need to be looking at what what are the things in this person's life. And guys, I know it's going to sound weird, but I have known uh, people that have been schizophrenics, completely delusional for twelve years that got healed in an instant. That does happen. So it, please understand that in saying this, I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit can't come in and heal people, because just like any other organ, any other part of the body, God can heal. And so, uh, like I said, I, I, I know a woman. She was 12 years delusional. I remember watching her go schizophrenic. Um, and she's healed and 100% in her right mind. And uh, it's not because of medication. She's not on any medications. She's been there, been in the therapy, has done all that. And it was literally a healing. One morning she woke up and boom, she just, she was healed. And um, Mike McIntosh was schizophrenic. And um, he was, uh, he was, um, you know, walking around. He was actually in a loony bin. He was literally in a loony bin. And uh, when he looked in the mirror, he saw half of his face or his head blown off. And he's now a pastor at Horizon in downtown San Diego. He's one of the most evangelistic guys you'll ever meet. Talks to everyone he meets about Jesus. But uh, he, he had a bad trip on LSD. And he was one of those guys that you read about where he was just gone. And he was gone. I can't remember if it was a year and a half, two years. And uh, someone prayed for him. He got healed. Boom. Clear. And uh, and that's, you know, that happens. So, um, but but what I'm saying is you, you have to take the pressure off these people and definitely pray for them. Definitely pray for people. Um, pray for healing for them. But don't tell them to get off their meds ever. And... Um, Help them, you know, track with them. Are you working through the issues? Tell them what I've told you today. You know, usually there's an underlying cause. Um, and don't say that in a shame or guilt way. Um, but just say, you know, is there, if it's not, you know, chemical depression or biological depression, um, if it's situational, get to that. You know, hey, are you talking through stuff with anyone? Um, I often recommend that uh, for pastors, that if you're not trained to deal with people, um, with psychiatric illnesses that you don't try to suddenly become a psychiatrist. You are out of your depth. Um, I don't do it. Guys, I was a psych nurse, and even I don't do it. I will refer them to someone, but I tell you what I will refer them to. 
Um, I look for a combination of a guy who was a pastor, is professionally qualified, and usually more Pentecostal charismatic. <laughs> Even though I'm a word-based guy. You know what I'm saying? Why? Because those guys actually believe in healing. And they believe in the power of prayer. And they're expecting God to do something. And I'm just telling you, these dudes, there's, they're, okay, they're academic. They've got the qualifications. They're pastoral. You know, they're ordained. They've been a pastor, maybe of a church at some point. But they felt, no, this is God's calling on my life. And they just, they, they see God move in the power of the Holy Spirit. And um, ah, that's all I can say to you. You know, I mean, I'm a big believer in stuff like working the 12 steps or the recovery process, celebrate recovery, all that kind of stuff. If you got to go to AA instead of that, fine, go there, do that, work the steps. So some people don't like me because I'm like, hey, no, man, you know, that stuff at, at its heart is like the gospel. We're going to talk about how to deal with substance abuse in the future. But I'm also a believer that you can lay hands on a dude sometimes, not every time, but sometimes, just like I'm, you know, and God heals the dude. You know, sets him completely free from drugs and alcohol, and the guy never wants it again. I've seen it. It happens. It's not the most common way God does it, but he does do it. So I pray, man, if someone's, you know, like it tells me in James, if someone's not well, lay hands on them, anoint them with oil, let the elders do this, and pray. And so please understand that in saying you know, look, you got to respect the science. You got to respect the qualifications. You got to do this. You got to do that. Um, leave room for God to work. Kind of like our story at the beginning of today. You know, that was a clear example of the sovereignty of God while dude's taking his trash out. That is the God of the book of Acts. And that's the God I believe in. He's the God who still does miraculous things. But I'm never, ever, ever going to lay a trip on a mentally ill person. And say, you know, if you had enough faith, brother, you, you'd be healed by now. Or, you know, um, this is your fault. Like, that's just absolutely abusing somebody. And you need to be, people need to be protected from you if you're doing that to them. You need to give them permission to be ill if they're ill. Interesting. Yeah. You know, we talked about in the last uh, podcast that we did on this subject of uh, depression or mental illness, actually, not on depression itself. You know, I mentioned that I've had a lot of family members um, who have dealt with this issue. Um, it, it runs in my family, mental illness of, of some sort of like I, my grandmother. I don't even know what she had, but she definitely had mental illness. I mean, back then they didn't have the same terms that we have today. And, and there are other members um, in my family that just like before, I didn't want to say, you know, to protect their privacy, but. It's it's a really tough thing to deal with, yeah. And I think really too, uh, depending on how you're wired, it might be really tough for you. And I don't envy you if you're you're a church planner and you've got to deal with this because I don't deal well with it. Like I had family members who had it, and and I didn't you're deal like, well it with up, it. Buttercup. That's it. Like that's the way I'm built, right? It's like you know. I, I still remember having this one conversation with this person, and they're like, well, you know, if I take this medication, I, I'll be on it the rest of my life, and I don't want to be chained to it. And the way I look at it, I'm like, look, you know, if I've got to take a medication, I take a medication. 
Like, I don't like taking medication, but I've got a lot of, uh, like, I've got diverticulitis and stuff that flares up every once in a while. And I'm, like, begging for an antibiotic, right? I'm like, I'll take that. I mean, you know, give me the shot. Give me all the pills you got. You know, I want to knock that sucker out because I just want to be done with it. And they're like, you know, and if I miss one of my pills, then I can have these adverse reactions. And I'm like, just keep an extra one in your wallet. And then you've always got it. You know, I mean, oh, well, but it's like, I don't deal well with that because I'm like, dude, suck it up. All right. This is your, your cross to bear. I got mine and I got a whole set of other problems. Just take the medication. So that's all I'm saying is like, I don't envy the guy who's got to go through this and deal with it because it's a tough thing. You raise an, no, you raise an awesome point because here's the reality, Pete. The, the, The reality is that. It's like guys who deal with uh, recovery, right? If you're an AA sponsor, you can't sponsor more than one or two people effectively because what happens is, you know, and and particularly as a pastor, right? Um, I always tell people, look, if you're dealing with someone who has substance abuse issues, that's like a full-time job for one or two people. Two people could keep you busy 40 hours a week. It's heavy. Psychiatric illnesses, mental illnesses, depression, anxiety disorders, they are a handful. And and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean maybe your hand's not big enough to handle them. And so refer them to people that can really help them. And 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 what I would say is what to, one of the inherent dangers of you as the pastor trying to, quote, unquote, save them because you think, oh, man, you know, if the church can't help them, who can? Be welcoming to people with mental illnesses. Don't be mad at them. Back back years ago, the churches used to always be mad. Just be well, just welcome them. Let I was, I was that- so thinking that today, by the way, at our church. Our <laughs> church is for the rejects. Oh, absolutely. I mean. What's in our city? Well, but, I mean, you haven't even seen it recently. We and I don't want to. I don't want to say, but I mean, I was I was literally like looking at our crowd today, going, "This is for the rejects," Which, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I, I'm I mean that proudly. Like our church is there for the ones that no one else wants, dude. Exactly, and 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 you you. Uh, that's the reason that we do a lot of body ministry because what will happen with a pastor is he'll get like a Messiah complex. He'll get a Jesus complex. I have to be Jesus. I have to save this person, and people that. Uh, go into ministry often, you know, they have that. And that's one of the reasons oh, I'll save you. And they go into that. And, um, and, and you have to realize it's like, and we'll get to this when we talk about substance. An AA counselor or sponsor will tell you there's nothing you can do to someone until they want to get help. Um, but here's the deal. When you're dealing with psychiatric illnesses, often there's codependency issues. And so what happens is they start kind of, uh, roping you into their recovery and everything starts becoming dependent upon what you do or don't do for them, which becomes a way of them to, uh, you know, kind of um, almost excuse themselves when things aren't going good, but then um, pat themselves on when things are going good, pat you on the back. And, it, and it's a way that somebody who has very poor coping skills, they'll use you to, to rope you in um, to help them, to get them where they're going. And, and so one of the protections you have as a pastor with this is to A, welcome them and say, you know, I'm so glad you're here. This is a really safe place for you, and we're here for you. Um, 
But as things get, you know, once it gets past a certain point where they've shared with you what's going on and this and that, at a certain point, you have to say to them, look, I'm out of my depth. And that's as much a protection for them so that they can get real help that they need. Someone who can actually help them. And I'm not meaning to insult all the listeners here, but let's be honest, you know, in, unless you're from this field, you can't help them that much, right? Um, you, you won't know, like, how to deal with some of the, the conditions that they have. Um, but it's also a protection on you. It's a protection on your time. Um, often people, when they have mental illness, they do turn on you um, if things don't go well. And so it's just a way of keeping you as their pastor, not as their psychiatrist. You don't want to step into that role, if that makes sense. Yep. And so you've got to be able to develop that and say, hey, man, you know, that's it's not really... I'm out of my depth, but, and, and find out who in your area, get the number of the guy who I described earlier, find out who that dude is, you know, go to pastors and say, Hey, when you guys get somebody who has mental illness in this city, um, who do you send them to and, and start compiling a list and call those dudes and find out who they are so that you always have that number. And, uh, like I got a guy, uh, that I know to call. You know, for anyone in, down our way who needs help, I'm able to say, well, hey, here's a guy. Um, I trust him. Um, he's qualified and he's spirit filled and he will not steer. He's biblically based. He will not steer you wrong. Cool. What do you think? Think we bummed everyone out now? You said everything the way I told you to say it. It was perfect. I did. You know what? Thank you. I, I appreciate it because I was worried about that word. Kind of moving along here, but um, guys, there are if you personally are struggling with depression and you're like, that's great for everyone else, but I'm the dude, right? It's common, um, it happens. Jesus himself was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Um, imagine, you know, he's uh, taking everyone's sins upon him. He with with much knowledge comes much sorrow. Solomon said, I believe that Solomon went through uh, depressions. I mean, we you know we could go down through the list. But uh, the reality is, guys, if you are dealing with depression, there's a few things I would say. Find somebody like the dude I talked about that you can occasionally go talk to, not because you have mental health issues, but because you need to talk to someone. Sometimes it needs to not be your wife. Uh, it needs to not be someone in your church. It needs to, to maybe be someone who understands the ins and outs of the human psyche, the soul, uh, you know, mental things. Uh, but also, um, I, and I say this to guys all the time, we're talking about the chemicals. Uh, people with depression who exercise, um, that's one of the keys to um, stimulating the brain the way it needs to be stimulated. And I, I won't go into all the science of it because I don't have anything in front of me, but I used to teach on uh, you know, mental health to a, a health agency, I used to run these seminars. And what I will tell you is there's ample amounts of research that link uh, inactivity to um, depression. I should and be the so, most depressed person in the world. Absolutely. <laughs> you are the most inactive. No, I'm just teasing. You're not. But but here's the deal. Like, you walk and stuff, and, you know, was I not supposed to tell that? <laughs> we missed your train, man. That's the, that's the first time this whole hour we had the train. I know. I know. But, you know, it's like, um, it's a Sunday. But, uh, you know, the... Uh, the bottom line is, guys, you know, eat your diet uh, properly and, uh, you know, uh, walks or runs or some kind of working out 
is going to take the edge off that. And I tell guys that and they don't believe me. And I'm like, no, seriously, man. If you in ministry, it frees you up, it changes you, it's a gear shift, and it uh, it produces endorphins that um, get things stimulated. And I've also been told that uh, sex with your spouse really helps with depression. Apparently. But uh, <laughs> I don't have any data for that. I just know it's usually a good idea. <laughs> with your spouse. With your spouse. With your spouse. <laughs> So, hey, guys, this has been the uh, Church Planner Podcast. Oh, before we sign off, I got one announcement. Um, I am teaching a uh, series of classes coming up September 2nd. I have a class starting in Oceanside. And um, if you live in the uh, South County, South uh, Orange County, or North County, San Diego, or you can drive in to Oceanside, it's going to be at Generation Church. That's off of Whaley Street. You can go to uh, CalvaryChapel.com, or sorry, CalvaryChapelUniversity.com, and you can register. If you want to register for the courses, right now there's a discount where you get your courses half off. So if you want to take church planning classes with me, I'm offering two classes, Church Planning in the Book of Acts and an Introduction to New Testament Church Planning Networks. And so those two classes, they run for eight weeks each. I'm teaching them back-to-back. If you can't be there live for the sit-in session, we'll broadcast the uh, video segments um, online. It'll be uh, on the website, thecalvarychapeluniversity.com. You will get college credit for this, and uh, yeah, you'll, you'll interact with me about church plan in an academic setting. So, What is Jump School launching? Because we Jump put it off. School, yeah. Thanks for mentioning that. Jump School launches September 1st. So for those of you guys, Pete, you tell them a little bit. if uh, Is it too late? Because I saw it's, Jump School registration was closed. That's because I had to turn it off for the month of August because we weren't ready yet. Yeah. So we've added some things. We, we put some stuff in there originally. We've added some stuff in. And uh, it's going to start September 1st. And so Pete will tell you how to get on board with that. Well, I, I won't. There are, we're already late, so I won't, I won't go into it on this one. But I, I came up with a tagline while you were gone. You know how you got yours that you always end our shows with? Yeah. So now I oh, have one. Oh, that was one. a good one. I like that one. Dude, I freaking stole it. It's awesome. Bust it out, man. If you find yourself... Wait, wait. How did it go? <laughs> now I got to think about it. editing this, right? No. No editing. It's Sunday night. Um. If you're not surrounded, you're in the wrong landing zone. Jump school! All right. That's awesome, dude. All right. I added on that jump school there at the end. I like that. So is that the jump school tagline? Or is that going to be the new podcast tagline? I think you stick with the same podcast tagline. I just like it, and it seems appropriate for jump school. If you don't find yourself surrounded, you're in the wrong landing zone. Jump school! Awesome. That is awesome. (laughs) Well, hey, guys, if you need a band of brothers and you need guys to talk through this stuff, we're going to have roundtables. We're going to have coaching sessions. It's going to be cool. So we'll see you guys in Jump School. If you want to register, you can go to jumpschooltraining.com and sign up for that. But this has been the Church Planner Podcast reminding you that if you want to reach the ones nobody's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. 
If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Thank you.